with that, 2 Timothy chapter 3. All right, six years before Thomas Jefferson died, he sat down with a, I'm sorry, six years, yeah, before Thomas Jefferson died, he sat down with a razor and a leather-bound notebook, and he carefully cut out the sections of the New Testament that he didn't like. Every section that included the miracles that Jesus did, or even anything that resembled Jesus's divinity, he cut out so he could create a Bible that matched exactly what he believed. Jefferson kept the teachings of Jesus because he thought that they were good, moral, responsible ways of a good teacher, and they created a good rule of life for him, and he took out the authority of Jesus because he didn't want God to be his Lord. Now, most of us wouldn't do that. Most of us wouldn't dare touch our Bibles like that. However, at the same time, even though we don't cut them out with a physical pen and a sheet of paper, Jefferson created a model for most of us to take the authority of Jesus away and and take the parts that we like the most. Here's what I'd say is a lot of us want the kingdom without the king. A lot of us want the kingdom without the king. We want the benefits of the Bible, the, the freedom that it seems to give us, and yet we don't want it to control our lives. We want to pick and choose what we take from the Bible as our guide for life, and we want to throw out the rest. What Jefferson was doing was he was creating his own God. He was creating a God that agreed with everything that he thought. The only problem is that God doesn't really exist, and that God is only a reflection of yourself, like Tim Keller says. If your God agrees with everything that you think and do, maybe you're not worshiping the God of the Bible. Maybe you're just worshiping yourself. Y'all, that's where I want to go today. Jesus is either Lord of all or he isn't Lord at all. Either what he says is true or it isn't. You can't have it both ways. You can't have the God who laid down his life for you and took your punishment in your place without having the God who creates the moral codes for our life. Listen, it's impossible to worship Jesus if you, re- if you reject him on issues of sexuality, justice, and the order of life. So here's the deal. God is never going to fit neatly into your box, all right? If he fits perfectly into everything that you believe, if you never wrestle with anything, if your worldview never conflicts with his worldview, and it always is agreeable all the time, you might want to ask yourself, are you worshiping God or are you worshiping an image of God that you created for yourself? When the Bible cuts against the grain of culture, we're going to have to ask ourselves, who has the final say over our lives? When there comes a fork in the road of either you are going to believe God is good or you're going to question him, the question is, is which one are you going to choose? So here's the big idea for today as we walk through what the Bible says. The Bible is completely true or it's not true at all. You can't have it both ways. There is no other option. We either take all of what God says or we can't take any of what God says. So today, again, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, you're going to see the greatest excerpt in the entire Bible about the Bible. And real quick, let me spell out what I mean by the Bible because I think that can be controversial at times. What I mean by the Bible is what you are holding in your hand. The Old Testament and the New Testament, these 66 books written by 40 different authors over the course of a couple thousands of years called the scriptures, or we might even call them the gospel because the gospel is not just an event, but it's the whole thing. Herman Bavink, if you've never heard of him, he was an old reformer from the Netherlands. He actually wrote my systematic theology books that I use in seminary. Here's what he said. He said the gospel is both the Old and the New Testament. The core of divine revelation, the essence of religion, the whole of the Holy Scriptures. Now, with that in mind, let me say this. The Bible is a gift from God. Think about it. 
God is God, and he can do anything he wants. He could have done anything he wanted. He could have created the world and stepped away, like some people say. Well, if God exists, he's just some, um, you know, external force that doesn't really care about your life. Well, he could have done that. After sin entered the world, God could have said, look at you guys, you did it, now you figure it out. I'm going to just wash my hands of you. Honestly, he wouldn't have been wrong for doing that. He could have done what theologians call, when we look at this general revelation, he could have said, look, the world simply speaks to me. Go outside and look at a sunset and tell me that I don't exist. The psalmist says the heavens declare the glory of God. God could have been like, I put eternity in your heart. You know that I'm there. The world speaks of it. Go figure it out. But God doesn't do that. God wrote a book. And this book, this book's like no other book. This book is a story about God's intentions for us to know him better. It's a glimpse into the heart of God. You know, last week, um, my wife wrote me a letter. And for you guys under the age of like 35, letters are actually, you grab a pen and a sheet of paper and, and you physically write these things down. And uh, we never did this to one another. Like, I've never gotten a letter from my wife, but she's in prison, uh, hospital. <laughs> Seriously, prison and hospital is about the same thing. She gets three horrible meals a day. She's locked up in solitary confinement. She has 45 minutes of yard time, and she writes letters with pens and sheets of paper. Like, tell me what the difference is. Anyway, she wrote me a letter, um, and in that letter, it, it was the most beautiful thing that she couldn't express on the phone. She revealed her heart, and, 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 it, and it encapsulated in this little time box the beauty and the essence of our relationship, that's what the Bible is for you. It's God's letter to you. It reveals the heart of God in a way that simply should shape your affections for him. You see, the Bible is a means to an end. You don't worship the Bible, you worship the God of the Bible, and the Bible points you to him. And, and that's the whole point, is this, this beautiful thing that you have in your hands points you to him in the most vulnerable ways. It, it reveals the heart of God to you. It's a gift from God. The Bible is the anchor of your soul. So when Jesus says, abide in me and in my word and I will abide in you, he, he's showing you the anchor for your soul. Did you know that the longest psalm in the Bible is Psalm 119? And it's a psalm about the Bible. It, it, it's a Hebrew poetic uh, acrostic, if you will, that starts with the first letter of every Hebrew letter of the alphabet. So if you ever go to Psalm 119, you look like, what are these weird words up at the top? It's the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and it's showing you that the entire Bible from beginning to end is good, and it's sweet, and it's better than anything in life. Psalm 19, not 119, but Psalm 19 says it's sweeter than the drippings of the honeycomb. Jonathan Edwards, the great reformer, uh, when, he was posture, uh, po when he was thinking about this verse, he says, he says, you know, honey, it's the sweetest thing you can ever imagine. And I can talk to you about honey. He says, I can describe honey to you. I can tell you how it feels. I can tell you what it tastes like. But until you put that honey in your mouth, it doesn't matter what I describe to you, you'll never enjoy the taste of honey. He says, you have to taste and see. Listen, I'm going to tell you that the Bible is the most beautiful book ever. I'm going to show you that it is historically valid, that everything about it is it, it's good, it's reliable, and it's reasonable. But until you taste it, until you taste and see that the Lord is good, it doesn't really matter what I say to you. Until, until you see that God's word can change your life, it doesn't really matter what I tell you. I can tell you that the Bible has made my life so much better. It is driven out, or uh, as John says, it has cast out all the fear in my life. Why? Because I believe that God's word is true and it's good. And if I, if I know that eternity exists, well, then there's nothing to fear in this life. 
It, it doesn't matter that I tell you that the morality of the Bible has fixed my life. It hasn't restricted my life. It's made me fall deeply in love with my wife and love my kids, and it's made me faithful in ways that like, I can't describe how amazing and freeing it is. I can go on and on, but until you taste that the Lord is good, until you trust that God's word for you is good, you will never know just how sweet it is. See, the Bible is not primarily a book about a list of things to do. It is primarily about a God to be worshiped, and its purpose is to tell you how amazing that God is. So with that in mind, let's jump in to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. Here's what Paul says to Timothy. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. If you underline words in your Bible, underline that word continue. It is super important. Y'all, some of us act like we've arrived, haven't we? Like I've read my Bible from cover to cover. I, I live the Christian life. By the way, statistically speaking, only 8% of Bible-believing Christians have ever actually read the entire Bible, which means most of us just haven't even done that. But if you've ever read the Bible from cover to cover, my question for you is, I, I understand we can read all day long, but are we allowing it to read us? Like Tim Keller, I know I've already quoted him, but he's kind of the patron saint of City Church, said it this way. The gospel is not the diving board into Christianity. It is the pool that we go deeper and deeper into. Like I said last week, the Christian life isn't how you start. It's about how you finish. Paul is telling Timothy the way to the authentic Christian or godly life that we've been looking at over the last several weeks is in the ability to continue to live out what you already know. It's not about adding new knowledge to your life. It's about going deeper into the things of God. See, guys, that's what makes the scriptures so amazing. It's the endless depth and beauty of the Bible. You can spend the rest of your life continuing in the scriptures, and you're going to find a wellspring that just goes deeper and deeper and deeper into it. And as you go deeper into it, what you'll find at the bottom is Jesus, and he will give you more and more and more. Timothy. Timothy grew up in a place to where the scriptures were taught faithfully by his mom and his grandma. That's what he's saying. Paul was saying, continue in what you learned, the sacred writings. See, Timothy's dad was absent. He was a non-Christian, if you will, or he was a Greek, so he was not a God follower. He was absent, but the matriarchs of his family taught him the word. By the way, let me just say this really quickly. Dad, you matter so much more than you can ever give yourself credit for. You matter so much. Listen to the latest stats that I just read. Involved dads produce children who are 39% more likely to earn A's, 45% less likely to repeat a grade, 60% less likely to be suspended or expelled from school, twice as likely to go to college, 75% less likely to have a teen birth, and 80% less likely to spend time in jail. Maybe we need to have a conversation about dads being present in the home. But look, moms, don't let that discourage you. Moms, I know that situations can be tough whenever dads are absent, both physically or you know, off doing something else, but listen to me, keep going and keep leaning in. It was because of the faithfulness of these godly women that Timothy's life changed. I'm just telling you, if you're stuck in a situation to where your husband is not there or present, God can still use you in some mighty ways like Timothy's mom and grandma did with him. They were amazing women of God, and they stepped into the gap. See, Timothy's mom and grandmother taught him the sacred writings, 
Those sacred writings that Paul talks about, they're the Old Testament. In that Old Testament, they led Timothy to Jesus because the Old Testament points to Jesus. It's all about him. That's what the Bible does. It's all about Jesus. So again, Paul says, continue, Timothy. Continue in what you have learned and what you have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. You see that? And from childhood, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. A couple things here. Number one is this. Timothy's confidence in the scriptures came from what he had learned and from whom he had learned it. Listen, if your doctrine, if your doctrine, what you believe is empty words and your life doesn't match what you say you believe, like Paul says earlier in 2 Timothy chapter 3 or 2, you rob God of his power. Timothy looked at his grandma and his mom and how they preserved when the decks of life were stacked against them, when the dad was absent, when things were hard, and they preserved and they trusted God. And that deepened Timothy's faith. Timothy looked at Paul, who had lived that kind of life that was trusting a Paul when all of his circumstances were changing around him and getting harder. Y'all, I can't tell you how many people tell me that they want to bring their kids to church, not because they believe it, but because they just want their kids to be in a better environment. That stuff robs us of power. Or how many people I know that come to church, oh, that come to church and they, we, we do and we play the right game and then we go home and our lives are a train wreck the rest of the week. The thing that was powerful in Timothy's life was that he was acquainted with the scriptures because of not what he learned only, but whom he learned it from. The power that came from a life that was transformed by the gospel. Here's the deal. The people closest to you aren't just paying attention to what you say. They're paying attention to the fact that what you say, does it actually have an impact on how you live your life? Because if it does, that's powerful. See it? Number two is this. The main purpose of the scriptures or of the Bible is salvation. Listen to what he says. Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Let me be super clear here. We are saved because of the finished work of Jesus Christ alone. Jesus lived your life, died your death, he rose from the dead, and by grace, he gave you the greatest gift ever. And yet, it's useless if you've never heard of it. That's why God gave you the Bible. The Bible is there to open up your eyes to the reality of Jesus. That's the most amazing thing about it is God wrote a book to you and I so that we could be saved. Listen to me and don't miss this. The ultimate point of the Bible is reconciliation with God through Jesus Christ. It wants you to know who Jesus is. That's what God wants. He wants us to know him and to live with him and to enjoy him forever. The Bible is not an archaic book with antiquated beliefs. It is a sacred letter to you revealing the path to God. It is, our God to, it is our guide to eternity. And when you drink from it, you become wise for salvation. And here's why. Look at it. All scripture is breathed out by God. Now that word all there, it's a complicated Greek word. When you look at it and you go into the intricate details of what it means, here's what it means. It means all. Like all of it. All scripture. Scripture is the word graphe. Graphe is where we get the word um, graph from. Think paragraph or autograph. Uh, it, it means writings. Here, here's why that's so important. All of God's writings are breathed out by God. God didn't just speak to you. He wrote you a letter. What's amazing about this is every single word in this book matters. 
And the same word, that graphe word, that's used right here is used all over the Bible to describe the Bible. Paul brings it all together by showing us that the sacred writings and the scriptures, meaning the Old and the New Testament, are God's word. So wrap your mind around this. Paul and every single writer in the New Testament, including Jesus, believed that the entire Bible was scripture. Just so you know, in the Old Testament alone, there are over 3,000 references to times where it says that this word is speaking authoritatively. Now, this is super important because I know that a lot of people will make this claim that we should just teach the New Testament. Like the Old Testament's archaic, it doesn't really matter. I hear that, but Paul's pretty clear. All scripture, all scripture is God's word. And if it was good enough for Jesus, then it's good enough for us. Every bit of the Bible is scripture, and here's why, that all scripture is breathed out by God. Again, in Greek, if you want to get nerdy for a second, the Greek word there is pase grafe theonoustos. Now, if I can break that down for you, the reason why I put that, I don't do this often. Go back to the last slide. I, I want to show you something here because this is awesome. Pase is the word all. Grafe is the word scripture. Is God breathed. Literally God breathed. That's what that means. It's the only time in the, in the entire Bible that this compound word theos, which is God, and noustos, which is actually the word breath or, or Holy Spirit, because breath and Holy Spirit are the same word in, in the Bible, that are put together here. He's saying that God literally breathed on this book. He breathed out scripture. It's the sovereign exhaling of a holy God that makes this book different than every other book in the world. Do you know why this is fascinating? Because every time that God breathes in the Bible, things come to life. Book of Genesis, when God created Adam and Eve, it says that the thing that made them different is he put the breath of life in them. He literally breathed life into them, and they became life-giving beings that reflected the glory of God. Listen, you are a reflection of God's glory because God breathed life into you. When Jesus rose from the dead, the very first thing is he gathered his disciples together in the weirdest way. Go read it in the Gospels. He just breathed on them. Think about it. Paul, Peter's probably like, bro, you've been dead for three days and you can go brush your teeth before you come over here, right? And by the way, we, I know we like to emulate Jesus, but during a global pandemic, this might not be the one you want to do because when he breathed, he brought life. When you breathe, anyway. Look, here's what was happening. The Holy Spirit was coming down. And when the Holy Spirit came down at Pentecost, God breathed life into them again. Jesus was showing that he was recreating the world and he was bringing life through him. Second Timothy our second Corinthians 5, 17 says, therefore, if anybody's in Christ, they are a new creation. Behold, the old has passed away and the new has come. God breathed life. The only other time that God breathed on anything was when he breathed on this book. Now, here's what that means. This book brings life. Every bit of it. When God speaks, he speaks life. I don't know if you recognize this or appreciate this, but this book that you hold is the most incredible thing ever, not simply because it has endured history, but because God breathed on it. Again, the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119, is about the Bible. Listen to what David says. I love what he says in Psalm 119. Verse 18, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. The law is God's word. Psalm 119, 102, do not turn aside from your rules for you have taught me. Y'all, I love this. He's saying that the Bible is his guide for life, and he believed every bit of it. Maybe my favorite verse in the entire Old Testament is Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. 
David was showing you that ultimately God's word is the illuminator of our life. It's what puts us on a path to real life. King David believed the Bible, y'all. Psalm 19, listen to this. The Lord, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, much more fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. When you read this word, what do you take away from it? This? Do you realize what you're holding in your hand? God breathed, exhaled word for you. Now, really quickly, because I know that some of you will be thinking this, because I know that I address a lot of skeptics all the time and some people watch it online. Listen, the Bible was written by people, but it's God's word. Let, let, let me explain this to you. If you think about this, if me and you were to sit down and I asked you to grab a pen and a sheet of paper or your MacBook because it's 2022, and I start asking you to dictate the things that I tell you about an experience that we had, let me ask you, who is the author? You because you wrote it down or me because it was my words? See, 1 Peter 1.21 says, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. When people wrote the scriptures, it was the Spirit of God writing it through them. It's like whenever I hold my son Elliot's hand and we walk up the stairs together, yes, he's walking, but he's being guided along by me. I determine where he goes. I determine how fast he gets there. Obviously, he's walking, but the direction is set by me. That's what's happening with the writings of the Bible. Y'all, I'm just telling you, if I wrote a book, like if I tried to create scripture, do you realize that what it would be about? It'd be about me, and it'd be about football and the things that I like. I might quote my favorite movie ever, the best movie ever, Dumb and Dumber. There would only be one command in all the Bible. Thou shall not own a cat. That'd be it. I thank God that they, the writers of the Bible weren't writing their own opinions. They were writing God's word. Let me give you another example. If you put 1 Peter chapter 121 up here, an example from this, Peter uses the phrase, they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It's a maritime phrase that, that it's equivalent to they were being carried along like the wind in the sails of a ship carried the boat along. Here's what Peter means. He's saying that God took their personalities and moved in them so that they would write exactly what they were supposed to write. So in the boat, if you will, there was a lot of freedom. However, these writers, as they moved around the boat in their own personalities, if you will, the boat of life, the freedom was there, but the ultimate destination of what they wrote was carried along by God. So here's what I would say is the content of this book is revelation, but the process is inspiration. It's not forced dictation. Now, I know there's a lot of big words there, but it's God moving inside of them to communicate a message through them. The reality is that the apostles and the prophets, they might have penned the books of the Bible in a different way if it wasn't for the God of the Bible breathing life through them to make it so interconnected that it all fit together. These 66 books written by 40 different authors covering the span of a couple thousand years are a book about God, by God, and every single word in it is good. That's the point. Every single word in your Bible is intentional and it is without error. Every bit of it is from God and it's for you. Now, one more thing, just so we're clear. Every bit of this book is inspired and without error. The problem is you're not. 
Here's what I mean by that. We have to be humble enough to realize that maybe our interpretation of the Bible might be wrong. Maybe even our translation of the Bible might be wrong. There's a big fancy word called textual variance where you'll find that there are translations that have translation issues. The old King Jimmy version that a lot of us base our lives off of had several of them. They're bad. See, the best interpreter of the Bible is the Bible. So go grab a passage of scripture and look at what another passage of scripture says about that and then figure it out from there. But here's what I want you to hear me say is you can really, really, really trust what you hold in your hand as super reliable. Did you know that there are over 30,000 manuscripts that date within a hundred years of the original writers uh, of the Bible? You see, and we just found the oldest piece of the Old Testament we've ever had. It actually goes, if you look at it, and now it's under peer review right now, but what they're saying is it actually proves the dates of Moses actually happened when Moses said that they did. Y'all, that's a huge deal. Just to put this into perspective, secular historians will tell you that the book, the Iliad, is the most historically valid book in all of antiquity, and they have about 1,900 copies that don't date in anywhere close to within 1,000 years of when they think it was actually written. Y'all, I'm just telling you, the word of God that you have is so remarkable, and it is so accurate, and what we have written by these people, it's not even close. So we have to humble ourselves to our approach to reading it and read it correctly, but when we do, it is breathed out by God, and it is sufficient for life. Listen, there's, there's nothing wrong with reading good books. There's nothing wrong with studying a ton of different things. Matter of fact, I think you should. I think you should read broadly and read a lot of different stuff. You should read about culture and know what's going on. And you should know science. There's nothing wrong with that. But like Charles Spurgeon said, visit many good books, but live in the Bible. By the way, science and the Bible have never been at odds with one another. You hear what I'm saying? There is controversy, but there's not contradiction. The problem is not with the Bible, it's with people. The Bible has never changed. God created science. He created physics. And the longer we study these disciplines, the more we find out that, that we tend to be closer in line than we thought we were. Like the Big Bang. I don't know if you knew this, but for a uh, hundred years ago, nobody thought that the world had a beginning. The Bible's been saying it had a beginning for a long time, and then science finally caught up. We just have to be humble enough to recognize that in, in these apparent contradictions, just hang in there. We're not as enlightened as we think we are, and if the Bible is true, ultimately things will come to the surface over time. Remember, we live in the middle of history, and we like to look back on people and think that we're more enlightened than they are, but what do you think people 200 years from now are going to do about us? Here's the last thing. The Bible isn't always trying to address the how questions of life. It's trying to address the why questions of life. Okay, and this is a big, this is a big problem. Science addresses the how questions. Philosophy addresses the why questions, and when we mix them up, we tend to get bad things. Don't cross them, and many of the problems that we have won't be a problem. Don't be like Voltaire, though. You know, Voltaire famously said that in 100 year, within 100 years of him saying this, the Bible would be antiquated, it'd be irrelevant, and it would go away. Instead, the Bible is the best-selling book of all time, selling over 5 billion copies, and it is more influential today than it ever has been. Now, here's the irony of this. This is a true story. The most amazing part about Voltaire's statement, as soon as he said it, closely after he died, and the French government put his house that he lived in on auction. Do you know who bought his house? The French Bible Society. I'm not kidding. You can go look this up. And after they bought his house, they ended up printing 
thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Bibles in the house that Voltaire lived in. Anyway, that's not the point, but the point is maybe we should humble ourselves and not make statements like God's, about, about God's word. The point is, is that God's word is sufficient for our guide for life, and if you'll lean into it, you'll find joy. Like Psalm 1 says, blessed or happy is the man. Happy is the man who walks not in the, the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. Y'all, people who delight in the law of the Lord and meditate it tend to be people who plant their lives near streams of living water, streams of life-giving water. What if, what if a lot of us feel like we are in a desert place because we're not feeding on the one thing that guarantees to bring us joy? What if the reason that we aren't making it and we feel so anxious as the world is crumbling around us is because we haven't anchored ourselves to the one thing that promises to give us refuge when the storms come. Listen, the Bible is our anchor. It is what gives us confidence that perfect love really does cast out fear and that we know the end of the story. It's what allows us to give our burdens, like, like Ian said earlier, cast your burdens upon Jesus because he cares for you. That, 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 that it's, it's this idea that we can come to him and gives us confidence because he cares for us. It's what allows us to leverage our life for eternity because we have confidence that the gospel will ultimately have the final say. The only way we're ever going to make it in this godless culture is to plant our lives in this word. We have to plant our lives in streams of water so that what comes out of us and flows out of us is confidence in the midst of a crumbling world. And check out what happens. Here's what he says, and it's profitable, Paul says. Back to 2 Timothy 3, it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You will become complete and equipped for every good work by this word. There are two things, if you synthesize it down, that Paul says. The Bible is here to do these two things. Number one, it's here to give you good theology. Number two, it's here to change our lives. See it? Real practically, the Bible is profitable for teaching. Teaching. You know, we are all being taught by something. I don't know if you know this or not, but you're being taught by something, so you might as well be taught by God. I want the one who created me I want the one who created me to upload me with the right software so I can make it in this world, so I can function right, because here's the deal. The designer is the one who creates the way that the design is supposed to function. So I want him to upload me with exactly what I need. I want him to bring correction in my life. I want him to teach me or to correct me. Now, I, don't, I don't know if you know this or not, but my, my teeth sometimes look like I've been chewing on rocks, like i got alligator teeth. My, my kids, they come up to me. And I kid you not, because kids, they're good at reproof and correction. So my, my Addie will come up to me, and she'll give me that look like she just smelled a dirty diaper. And she's like, I'm like, what's wrong, kid? She's like, your teeth. <laughs> Thanks, kid. Appreciate that. She's like, why? Because my mom and my daddy, and I ate too much sugar and not enough fluoride, all right? You know, there was this beautiful invention, though, called Invisalign. Do you know what Invisalign does? It makes my teeth get straight without you knowing it. Like, Invisalign is there to make the crooked, jacked-up teeth that I have be straight again. That's what that word correction means. Well, the word correction there, it means to make straight that which is crooked. 
It's the most beautiful thing ever. It's to take the crooked things and make them straight again. Listen, the Bible, the Bible is there to take our crooked lives and straighten them out. And oftentimes, I don't know if you've ever had braces, it doesn't feel very good sometimes. But at the end, you got a, you got a good smile. Look, we live, we live in a world that says it's okay to, to do whatever you want. But understand this. Doing whatever you want doesn't lead you to a path to joy. The Bible is there to straighten us out in the most amazing ways. It's there to change our lives. If you will give yourself to this word, it has the power to change you. It has the breath of life in it to make our dead bodies come alive again. If you're sitting here feeling empty, Jesus wants to give you something. He wants to reveal himself to you so that you can experience him and not only have salvation for a future thing, but have a straight life that joy is found in him now. When you trust him, you receive the greatest gift ever, which is God himself. God wrote a book. It's extraordinary. And it's a book for you. Even Richard Dawkins, the famous atheist, said this. The most important question in the world is the God question. You, 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 know, you know that God has revealed himself to you. And you can know him. And it's right here in his word. There might not be a better way to end than quoting Jesus himself. Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, the word of God is the bread of life, and God wants you to live by it. Like Charles Spurgeon, again, said, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to somebody who's not. Let me just ask you, if all of this is true, why don't we read it? Why don't we spend time in it? Can I suggest a few reasons? I think we don't read it because it's a pretty daunting task. I mean, it's long. It's a long book with a lot of books in it that are not very easy to understand. By the way, don't, don't just, uh, let me give you some life hacks. Don't start at the beginning of Genesis and try to read all the way through it because you're going to get to these books like Leviticus and you're just going to quit. Start in the Gospels. Start with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read there. Go backward and then figure those things out. Here's, here's the deal. If you will give the Bible 12 minutes a day, statistically speaking, you can read the entire thing in one year. You know how you eat a pizza? One bite at a time. That's how you read the Bible. One day at a time. One step at a time. Just do something. It is a daunting task, and if you'll break it down little by little, grab the Psalms, grab the New Testament, just read it. You'll get somewhere. Here's the next reason I think we don't read it. I just don't think we understand it. And I get that. Listen, the Bible is the wellspring of life, and it is deeper and more complicated than you'll ever imagine. And yet, at the same time, it's wildly simple. It's wildly simple. So again, let me give you some suggestions. Start with the Gospels. Don't do the most challenging books first. And buy a good study Bible. Like, you live in 2022 where you have access to information that's just super easy. I'll, I'll recommend two of them to you that I just think are the most amazing study Bibles ever. I think the ESV study Bible is great. I think the Reformation study Bible is great. I think that you can read the beginning of those two and it will give you some great insights. And then, watch this, buy an easy translation to read alongside a more accurate one. Like, you, you, we do the ESV here. I realize that that's probably an accurate translation and not necessarily an easy one to read. Go grab the NIV. Go grab the, the, the message or something and just read it alongside so it'll help you to understand. 
And then the last thing I want you to hear me say is you have the spirit of the living God living inside of you as a believer. Pray and ask God to give you understanding as you open it up. It is amazing the understanding that he will give you. He will give you exactly what you need in that time to do it. So just humbly ask. Letter C is I think this. I just don't think some of us think it's worth it. If we're honest. Here's what I can tell you. There isn't a single investment in your life that would be much, any more worthwhile than this. Jesus said that the word of God was in the beginning and it was in the beginning. It created everything through the word. He said that he is the word. If you want to know God, then you have to know his word. If you want to be transformed, you invest in this word and I promise you, it will transform you and it will make you more joyful than you could ever imagine. So here's my question for you. Why not? Why not give it a try? You've tried it all. Why not try this? There has been nothing in my life that has been more beneficial than giving my life to this word. There have been times that I've had to submit to areas of this word that I didn't agree with, and it brought me peace, and it brought me humility. There have been times where the truth of this word has given me hope in my darkest hours. I'm just telling you, Many of you know that we're going through probably one of our darkest hours we've ever gone through. The anchor of our life that has brought us hope through the middle of all of it has been this word and the truth of this word. There have been times that it has helped me to lay down my life for my wife and for my kids. It's taught me to be a better husband and a better dad. It's taught me to be more forgiving and it's taught me that I'm not always right. And I have to have the humility to tell people that I'm not. You see, the Bible, the Bible is the best guide for life because it's true. And by the way, many of the things you already do and believe you take for granted because they came from the Bible. Listen to it one more time. All scripture. Passe, grafe, theos, nustas. All scripture is breathed out by God. It's God-breathed. And it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the person of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. It's the word of God that will make you complete. Maybe the thing that many of us are missing. It's the word of God that will lead you to a destination, and that destination is Jesus himself. It's the word of God that is the author and the perfecter of our faith, and it is worth giving our lives to. Listen, it is true, it is real, it is breathed out by God, and you can have confidence in it. This word, for thousands of years, people have been trying to get this out of your hands. Men have died to give you this word. Men like William Tyndale, Martin Luther, who went against the grain of culture to give you this word. People continue to do that. Cultures continue to try to stop it. And yet, it has never been stopped because it's breathed out by God. Culture has continued to say it's wrong. You know what's outlived every culture? This word. You know what will continue to outlive every culture? This word. You know what will give you life? This word, because it is breathed out by God. City Church, we are a God-believing church. We believe in the authority of God's word, and I want you to know you can have confidence in it. And it will change you. It's not just something you read. It's not academic. It is life-changing. That's what Timothy wanted, that's what Paul wanted Timothy to know. All of this, all of this is breathed out by God and is good for your life. Let me pray for you. Father, I love you. I thank you that you wrote a word. You didn't leave us here. You didn't tell us to figure it out on our own. You didn't just, you've revealed yourself to us. How amazing is your grace.
How sweet is your love. Lord, it's sweeter than the drippings of a honeycomb. God, would you help us to revel in it, to love it, to lean into it, to be guided by it, and to find you at the end of it. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name.